Disrupting Worship, the podcast, is a set of conversations about the future of gathered worship. In the midst of struggle and tragedy, lockdown has offered us an unprecedented opportunity to pause, reflect, and reshape what it looks like to meet with God, the world, and one another. Hello, welcome back to Disrupting Worship with uh, Grace, your host, and my co-host. Sam Hargreaves, hello. And today I'm delighted that we've got Kate Middleton uh, coming to speak to us. Um, And so, yeah, Kate, just for people who've never heard you, are confusing with another famous Kate Middleton. Um, Who are you? Tell us a bit about your life and, yeah. Yeah, hey, it's great to be with you guys. I do feel now like I'm just going to be a disappointment, though, because <laughs> Sorry, we can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't. That, that's just the story of my life. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I did join a, a Zoom breakout group the other day, and I turned my camera off to go off and grab a cup of coffee. And when I came back, I could hear them all discussing, like, do you think it's really her? <laughs> it really is Kate Middleton. I didn't know whether to turn it back on and like disappoint them or just continue this air of mystery. So, uh, so yeah, I, let me tell you who I actually am. So I'm a psychologist by sort of professional background. I'm an author and a church leader uh, in Hertfordshire. And I'm also one of the directors of the Mind and Soul Foundation. So I'm hugely passionate about this whole area of mental well-being and wellness. And for me as a psychologist, that's obviously about the illness end when we're struggling, but it's also about the wider question of what it really means to thrive mm. as, as people, as human beings, particularly in life's tough times, but also as people of God and as people who are carriers of God's Holy Spirit, bringing the kingdom of God to the people and places that we're connecting with. So mm. how do we do that to our best possible extent? You know, what does that look like and in, in real life? And uh, over pandemic, I've also been able to launch working with Youthscape, who are an amazing youth mm. organization, a website for young people. Mm. And, and that's exactly what we talk about on Headstrong, which is the name of that site. It's like real life and real faith lived mm. in the real world. So that I guess is something that I'm passionate about. That's so good, so good. and. This podcast is ostensibly about worship and disrupting worship. And obviously there's been a huge amount of disruption in the last 18 months, but maybe we could just focus on that word worship for a moment, because I feel like we're only just as the church waking up to what I see as the potential of, yes, of course, worship is all about God and it's a chance to meet with God and glorify God and hear from God. But also this whole area of kind of, mental and emotional health um that that's not a million miles away from what we ought to be thinking about in worship about you know how healthy are our people are people living life in all its fullness are they bringing all of themselves to god or you know sometimes it feels to me like worship is just an escape that we sort of mm. you've just talked about you know life in the real world and feels like we we can kind of almost as leaders you know bring people into a space and say hey let's hide for half an hour or 90 minutes whereas maybe there's potential for these areas to kind of talk to one another more i just wondered if, you know what are your, some of your thoughts about that before we even get into pandemic and and disruption <laughs> yeah and and I think you're so right about that aspect 
of of relief which is really important it's that different perspective isn't it I always love the A.W. Tozer quote about worship that says that when we take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on God it's blessed riddance which (laughs) you know is just such a good one and throughout pandemic I know I've had real moments of like I just need to pretend that this world is not happening just Mm -hmm. for a minute and that has been such a relief and Mm -hmm. a blessed riddance but I think also worship is about our connection with God it's it's like plugging your iPhone in to to recharge it worship because we we are in this world and there's a lot of demand and struggle that we're facing even in normal life but particularly in pandemic so when we worship we connect with God we we move our focus to him we glorify him but also we get to bask in the wonder and the beauty of who God is and and that's that kind of thin place opportunity isn't it when when heaven touches earth mm. and and for there, there's a flow then of the holy spirit through our worship which does it reinvigorates us and and that's so important because it's about what sustains us it's about you know what what happens when you reach the end of yourself mm. if there's one thing that pandemic has done for for most of us particularly those of us who are leading or supporting others you know it's pushed us to our limits right Mm. to the edge of our limits sometimes over the edge of our limits so when you reach the end of yourself the question is is that the end Mm. or or is that a space where what you need to do is draw on the something bigger that can sustain you and and worship feels to me a very essential part of what that looks like in a practical everyday reality but then of course also that's not just for us is it because like I say really it's about people we're supporting the responsibilities that we have but also as people of God living in communities living in the world speaking hopefully a story of hope and light and promise in situations where that over recent months has been quite hard to see so we need to have a different perspective and that kind of supernatural vision. It's like, you know, the the supernatural 3D glasses that we can put on and it just changes the way that we see the world. And I think worship helps us to do that. Yeah. I don't know if this is a question we might touch on, Sam, I don't know, but hearing you talk about that, Kate, how mm, I'm always fascinated as a lay person with no psychology experience apart from reading psychology's magazine which does not count so you could say one of those kitchen sink people knows a little is probably very dangerous but how what's been your experience of where sometimes that interface between our mental health when we're struggling and worship so how maybe me as a church leader can hold a space where actually because I'm that person's depressed or grieving um that uh, that ability maybe to be open to the gathered worship or to God is I somehow dulled or or yeah suppose what the ways that we can help or the ways that we can hinder when we we know that we have people in our congregations who are in a fragile state and when I know probably all my congregations including myself are in a fragile state <laughs> you know um so I, I see that how the the how we're all so much more aware of mental health and our mental health is struggling. We've got a new, we seem a bit better at talking about it. But I do just wonder, maybe picking up what Sam was saying about how worship can be this enclave to forget it. But where, how do I, how do we begin to kind of 
you have worship that kind of helps people touch on that or is done in an appropriate way where people aren't being manipulated or it's not being forgotten mm. about but did you, I know it's probably, I'm not I don't know if I don't know if I'm even struggling to articulate my own question but do you get the sense of yeah definitely. a lot of people listen have this internal yeah I don't even know what the question is you might be even able to help us say what is the question that Grace is trying to blubber around to get out of her head get out of her mouth in terms of our interface between worship mental health especially when our mental health is poor yeah yeah. in a way as you're talking about this fragile state and I think a lot of us have felt in that state and what's been really interesting in the pandemic in in sort of mental health terms has been how it has pushed us all into that space where suddenly we're really aware of what's always been a truth which Mm. is that we all have mental health you know we we like to think of it as just something that affects a few people Mm. like a specific group and that's usually not us so when Mm. we talk about mental health we can quite often talk in us and then terms Mm. whether we define ourselves as in that sort of unwell box or not we we talk about it like it is two boxes but it isn't it's it's a line and we all move up and down we all have mental health we all have well-being and we're all capable of being pushed into sort of overwhelm where we're stressed out or we're struggling with emotions or we're trying to find headspace to process something or deal with the trauma or or whatever it is that's happened Uh, pandemic I guess has just been a really unusual universal example of that and what's really interesting is interesting is in those moments so they are the moments when you feel like you're at the edge of yourself you're pushed to your limit and in a way that's when worship becomes just the most beneficial it's the most amazing resource and thing to do but it is harder to connect with God in those moments and so it is really interesting to think well how particularly if we are the people who have the responsibility of planning worship spaces how do we lead people into worship sometimes it can feel like such a big change of state from where my head is now mm. to a place where my head is focused on God that that one of the skills of a worship leader is to guide me from state one to state two gradually so like I'm capable of moving into that other place and sometimes that's really hard sometimes Sometimes when you leave worship, people are like in the zone already, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I could sit here and sing a nursery rhyme and they would probably sing the glory of God. Other times you you stand and you look at a, a room full of people and just think, oh man, this is actually going to take some doing that. Like, how do I guide these people into a place where they can relax mm. and and sort of re remove their focus and fix their eyes on God? It always interests me that that story of Elijah that we see in the Old Testament, you know, um, when when he's had this moment is actually a big triumph but it's been a pretty full-on day it's been really stressful he's taken on the prophets of Baal on a mountain top and you know it's it's been pretty full-on and he's he's exhausted and he's at the end of himself and he gets this it's like the um the Old Testament equivalent of the dodgy emails you get as a church leader on a Monday morning, you know, when someone's taken offense at some word that you used in your sermon or something mm. that they think you said wrong. And he get, he gets this letter and it completely floors him. And so he runs and he, and he goes out to the desert and he's so emotionally exhausted and at the end of himself that he's basically saying to God, I've had enough. I'm just not doing this anymore. And what's really interesting is that God himself doesn't immediately come and like have it out with him and have the conversation. He has to do some other stuff for Elijah before he's ready, even to begin the journey to a space where he can then connect with God. And it's quite a long journey that he has to do. And it is physical rest. 
it, eating well, getting mm. some sleep. Mm. And I think sometimes in those states where we're really struggling, there are some physiological things that we need to do. When you are in the overwhelm zone and you're totally stressed out, your mind goes on to a kind of emergency mode. And it's kind of dealing with just the essentials. It's preserving its remaining capacity just in case there's another disaster or something else that needs you. And in that space, some things become much harder than usual. And, and worship is one of them. That, that set some of our, sort of our senses become super tuned to risk and signs of something that we might have to deal with. But the, the things like our spiritual senses our ability to pick up on things that aren't risk focused, but are something much better, much more positive, that they're harder to tap into. Mm -hmm. So sometimes what we've got to do is be self-aware enough to recognize that we're in that overwhelmed space and then do whatever we need to do to drop that physiological level of stress. Mm -hmm. And so I guess in a, in a worship service, we can't, we can't really say to everybody, right, go away, take two days of good sleep and rest, and then come back and we'll do this worship slot. No, that's not what it looks like. But it might be just a pause, a prayer, a moment of just like, let's just breathe. Where are you at? Let's just take a moment of connecting with our own thoughts and feelings. How are you doing right now? How's your week been? Is there something you need to lay down? Um, sometimes we can do that really practically so so i i love to use sort of embodied forms of worship and things like that so sometimes we can say to people like I, i've 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 done it before with a pile of stones and said to everyone come and come and take a stone I, you uh, you can't see me on your podcast but i have stones on my desk because there's something about holding something and yeah. so you you hold your stone you say right this is the stuff that you're holding right now so mm. let's just in a moment let's just say to god what is that stuff and then mm. let's go put that stone back at the front and we're going to put it down for a bit and and sometimes there's practical things that we can do in prayer or in something embodied that does help people to to just let go of the things that are in their mind mm -hmm. and freeze them up for a moment to be able to let go mm. because because worship requires a release from us so it requires us to feel safe it requires us to feel able to, to to allow our minds to release some of the mm. things that we've been holding on to. And sometimes we have to help people do that. Mm. I love that. I love that. And I, as you were talking about that, I wonder if even if you could help us understand the moment we're in, because it feels to me like, um, I was using this analogy with someone the other day that you know when you watch a movie and you see them they they establish the characters and then they there's a problem and they have to fix the problem and they get to the point where they nearly fix the problem and oh and then they're foiled but then they you know they move on and they and then the narrative kind of ends doesn't it and it, it sort of resolves at the end and it feels like <laughs> to me like we keep getting to the moment thinking oh it's nearly resolved it's nearly resolved and then you sort of look at the running time of the movie and there's two hours left to go and you're like no i i didn't buy into this kind of narrative yeah um, I don't have like the sort of psychological language for it, but I feel like we are, you know, we're, we keep thinking this is going to resolve. And we, and I, at least for me, I keep thinking like in a moment, it's going to be action time. It's going to be, you know, do something. It's going to be more services or more events or more social, you know, it's going to be that kind of, and I'm on the sort of partly on the edge of my seat going right in a moment, it's all going to be, you know, time to go. And then, you know, and I, yeah, and and so, I, and as you're talking about, you know, that that need for in worship of feeling safe and being able to release and stuff, you know, I, I do 
again, feel like that maybe some of us are trying to do stuff in our churches or our services that actually people aren't quite there yet for. I don't know mm. how you would express that. And and actually, one of the challenges of this season is variation. I mean, it's been an issue through the whole of pandemic is there's mm. been a, a lot more difference than perhaps we've been aware of unless you really deliberately pay attention to where people are at. But in this moment, that's particularly the case. And I think the the problem that we've faced in a lot of pandemic is that we've never done this before. You know? <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. My, son, my son's nine and he's always saying to me, he's, he said it several times, he says things like, mum, when you was little and you was doing global pandemic, what did you do? And I'm like, <laughs> mate, we've never done this before. I have absolutely no idea what's going on or how this is going to end. <laughs> and, and so in terms of like the stories and the narratives that we can draw on that help us understand what's happened, what's happening, and also what's going to happen, like what is it going to look like the next season? Yeah. We, we basically have very little. Yeah. And what, we've, what we're doing is we draw on the closest stories we can find. Mm. But that causes us problems. And so one of the stories that we've been people have drawn on throughout pandemic is the last world war, because yeah. there's that sense of yeah. like, when did life last change this dramatically? But the problem with that story is that wars have an end. Yeah. There's a there's a moment of celebration when everyone piles out onto the streets and it is officially all over. Yeah. Um, pandemic doesn't work like that. And, mm. and at the moment, I think one of the big challenges is that we're hitting that. Everybody's just like, oh, okay, my model doesn't work. Mm. Actually, I'm a bit stuck now. The other problem is, is, is to do with how we process trauma. So talking about pandemic and trauma terms for some people feels instinctively correct because they've been through grief or bereavement or they've been frontline something that feels really classically traumatic yeah uh, i know some people struggle a little bit with using that word for our more collective experience mm. but actually the degree to which life has been changed is psychologically trauma because it's knocked out a lot of our foundational understandings about the world so even if you've had a fairly smooth run through pandemic mm. just the level of change and disruption and question is is psychologically cognitively a form of trauma but but most people have also experienced some emotional trauma to some degree alongside it and the problem with trauma is that there's stages of how we respond to it and and when you come out of the crisis which for us has just lasted like over a year so it's been quite drawn out every part of you wants to feel good things relief excitement joy get back to normal woohoo it's all over let's just move on but actually what your brain is trying to do is process everything that's just happened and and i think that's very much a season that we're in now that some people are feeling like they're coming out of that initial crisis it feels like life is getting back to normal but but what that's feeling like is not just good stuff, but actually some difficult emotion bubbling to the surface and some stuff that they're having to process and deal with about what has this meant? How has it impacted their friendships? How is it changing the way they work or the way they want to do life in the future? That There's a lot of, of work and complication, complexity mm. involved in that. But also there is difference. So there are some people who are still in the, the sort of acute crisis stage because mm. actually 
things don't feel like they've moved on. Like if you work in a school right now, mm. or if you've got kids in school, you may still be experiencing daily disruption, the anxiety of what's going to happen next. If you've not had a vaccine yet, you may still feel your own personal risks. You may still be worried. If you were high risk or shielding, I know a lot of people who are really struggling with trying to understand the level of risk and, and their own personal safety and health. You know, some people are still in the initial stage of, of that trauma and not even ready to move on and start processing. Mm. So that difficulty, that difference becomes, becomes quite a challenge. So if you're, again, if you're stood looking at a room of people and trying to lead them into worship, they're not all in the same place emotionally. Mm. And actually the complexity in that is quite broad. And, and then of course, just for the rest of us, it is about, like you say, what's the next challenge, you know, Mm. in a way, coming out of this for your brain will be when you've got back into routine. Do you remember the days where you could just like tick over, like, cause you had a basic <laughs> routine. And I know that like, obviously every Sunday is different and we pray and we want to feel in that moment, what's God doing. But the basic routine of what a Sunday morning mm. looks like was there. Mm. And, and a lot of mm. it you did without thinking. And, mm. you know, we, we talk about stress and we think distress but stress is anything that requires stuff of your brain hmm. and your mind uses routine to keep your baseline stress level low. Mm-hmm. So right now for, for, for leaders who are planning church services and thinking, how do I lead a group of people into worship a connection with God? The level of demand on their brains is still much higher just because mm. there is, there's, there's nothing you can assume anymore. Is there? I mean, I know one of the churches I'm connected with down here, you know, they were just getting into a nice routine of how they ran their services. And then one of the, one of their team tested positive. So suddenly it's like, okay, we're back to doing everything from home. Cause we've yeah. got it all isolated. It's like, gosh, you cannot, depend on anything right now things change all the time and so when will we get back to a space where we can get back into something that becomes a a normal routine that's an interesting question isn't Mm. it and even Mm. where there are churches who have been able to return to in-person worship obviously that's not looking normal right now you Mm. can't sing communally you're distanced a lot of people are still tuning in from home You'd, a lot of people are doing blended services so they're yeah, live yeah. in a building but they're also live online oh my goodness the, the cognitive demand that that involves um is is really high and i would just mm. say to leaders don't underestimate just how much demand there is on your brain and I, you know I, I i think to some degree this season is a bit like it's a horse race and your brain is the horse and, and and your horse is really tired and you're whipping it to try and get it to keep running. But increasingly it's just like, no, I'm not going to jump over that next, that next hedge. <laughs> I've not got it in me. And we have to recognize that we're human in that. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. My catchphrase has been pandemic living is exhausting. It just, sure is. That's just a baseline. End of. <laughs> and you know that the psychologists are, are, are oddly fascinated by this sort of massive social experiment in cognitive fatigue, mm. because we've never exhausted so many people to this degree before. <laughs> and, and I don't mean emotionally exhausted. I just mean the demand on your brain. And that is demand of change and disruption. But it's also just monotony and boredom. You know, your brain mm. needs variation and interest to operate normally. And when it's bored, everything takes a lot more effort, motivating mm. yourself, focusing your attention, all of 
that sort of stuff. So lockdown's been really hard for that. And we are seeing some really fascinating impacts of just pure cognitive fatigue. So you know that thing where you try to think of a word and you just can't think of it? It's called tip of the tongue syndrome. And, and we've seen a massive sort of spike in the frequency of that, that just like wow. normal adults are reporting wow. when you just can't think of a word. Now, look, that that's all very funny when you're just trying to think of an item to write in your shopping list. But when you're stood in front of sort of two, three hundred people mm. and you're trying to lead them and you just can't think of a really stupid, obvious word yeah. or or you just can't depend on your brain to function in the moment the way mm. it normally does or if you think about how does that cognitive fatigue affect your ability to, to sense a spiritual atmosphere in worship so you can lead people, it's it's kind of like we're all doing doing it with 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 our senses dulled. Yeah. And and that's actually really hard. And then if you're also doing that online, so the, the cognitive demand is higher and, and that's mm. more complicated. You, you can see how there's just a lot of extra stuff going on right now that does make this harder than normal. Yeah. And it's so important we're not hard on ourselves from that and just because it's easy then to feel like, well, I'm just failing. I'm doing really rubbish. But actually, it's mm. just that it is really hard. Mm. That really touches that when you're talking about when our cognitive load is just, it's just like spiritually things seem deadened. And mm. often in Christian world, Christian parlance, Christian easy, as my husband call it. We talk about, you know, I'm spiritually dry or I'm in the wilderness. Um, Kate, can you just unpack that for us from someone with faith and that psychological perspective? Because you just touched on that interplay that actually if there is mentally, we are exhausted, emotionally exhausted, how that then interplays in our spirituality or our sense of being able to access God. So for example, there's a gentleman we were talking about and he says at the moment he really struggles to write intercessions. And I was saying, well, I'm really struggling to write sermons. It's just like, it's just like pulling teeth. It's just, yeah, that's just like so exhausting. Yeah, those resources that used to be there just seem to be really like, and I just said to him, well, we're spiritual beings. We've probably used every ounce of our spiritual reserves the past 18 months and we're done with, <laughs> you know, they're, you know, we're dry, the well is dry. So what, I'd love to know your professional perspective about how, what language is helpful to use around that? At what point do we say to people, you know, there, you know, our mental health alarm bells ring and say, you know, it'd be really good for you to talk to your GP. Uh, at what stage do we say, actually, that's also part of this, the faith journey, that there are moments where, you know, we see sense spiritual abundance in our inner life. And yet there are moments when we have spiritual dryness I'd just love to know that interplay between that Christian easy language we use I do believe we have wilderness moments and God seems absent Mm. and then and then poor mental health and are they two of the same are they different what how can we flag sign them up in a healthy way for our congregations yeah and it's interesting isn't it and I think one of the challenges of this moment even even for us as as clinicians as professionals is is what what do you call illness when suddenly everybody's experiencing it you know it's yeah. like it's what what what's normal and what's illness yes. and that's actually yeah. quite hard right now because a lot of things that people are experiencing are are normal reactions but in normal life we might have called them markers of 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 certainly struggle potentially even illness and things mm. like depression low mood anxiety mm. But but as a population, we can't. We're not all going to be able to get treatment for some of this. Yes. That's just not realistic. So, I th- I think thinking thinking practically to that stuff is really important. I think recognizing the impact that some of these things will have on us as human beings. You know, this that the story of the Bible is one of recognizing 
that, that we are human beings, we're created in the image of God, but we do also have limits. We have needs. And, and even, even Jesus, who was, was God living in the human brain and body that he designed, had to operate within some of those limitations. You know, he needed to sleep. He told the disciples off for not eating. He regularly tried to escape from the demand, the sort of relentless demand that he was under from people. You know, I heard a brilliant podcast the other day. It was talking about Jesus demonstrating radical unavailability. Just in terms of how he he tried to walk away from people all the time to get headspace, time to himself, time to pray, time to process his own emotions. Emotions. So when he hears about the death of John the Baptist, he tries to withdraw because that's a human need when we're emotionally drained to find space to deal with that. So I think we've got to recognize when we are operating near the edge of our limits, that that will have an impact on us. And, and that's not just OK. It, it's about being human. So we shouldn't feel bad for that. We should recognize it and be aware of it. So when you are cognitively fatigued and your brain is exhausted, uh, and it's uh, and it's therefore struggling. You will find creativity difficult. You will find focused attention difficult. Uh, you will find things like your memory doesn't function as well as it used to. So you're not going to be able to recall Bible verses or passages the way that you normally would. You might find that you need visual cues much more. I've never used lists so much in my life because I just <laughs> cannot rely on my brain to remember anything. So if you're a worship leader, just simple, practical things yeah. you might normally lead without the song words but you might mm. suddenly find you know you start a verse and your mind goes to completely blank and yeah. um, normal yeah. so we might need to be kind to our brains and use more practical cues to help us manage some of that yeah. we've especially got to be aware of the impact of overwhelm um, and that's just that again from from demand of the moment so stress that's emotional stress, but also that's just just the level of stuff that we're trying to juggle and keep in our heads at a moment and how that will impact our ability to connect with God, to focus, to manage. You know, if your brain goes on to that emergency setting because you've been pushed into complete overwhelm, your stress levels sort of gone into the red, then apart from the fact that your cognitive sort of function won't, won't be working the way you normally can, Everything in your brain will be trying to get you to do one thing, and that's bail, get out of whatever this situation is that's causing so much demand. So that that is going to create more stress. You're going to find yourself thinking things like, I can't do this. I've got to get out of here. You know, I'm not up to this. And again, we've got to recognize what's happening in those moments. Some of that might be, to, to some degree, a spiritual challenge to us in terms of how we respond. But some of it's just biology, yeah. and we've got to recognize our own human needs in that. Sometimes in the midst of that, what it means is that we need to explore different methods, different techniques, different ways of connecting with God. Approaches to worship that are perhaps more repetitive, more liturgical, more contemplative, quieter. If we or the people that we're leading to worship are overwhelmed and overstimulated, the sort of noise and hype and excitement that normally might be a great part of our worship yeah. may well just feel like too much. Yeah. I've heard so many people say that recently. Oh, I just can't face going to church because it's just too loud mm. or it's just too too much. Or that I've had several conversations with people recently who are from traditions that might be more sort of charismatic 
that sort of more Pentecostal, lively, louder style of worship who are saying, like, oh, I think maybe I need to leave my church, Kate, because I think maybe I, I'm just feeling like I can't face that and maybe there's something wrong with it. And I'm like, well, maybe there's not. Maybe this is just a moment yeah. where you are, are struggling and that stuff is hard. Yeah. So, yes, solace in some quieter approaches to worship, explore some other stuff. But for mm. us as worship leaders, let's all be aware mm. that, that we might need to think about where people are at and, and create some spaces for worship that are perhaps feeling different to what we would do as our normal routine um, and that are about creating more space and allowing people to just be and sit with God. Even, even the value of, of just silence, creating silent space for people just to sit and hold what they're feeling. Mm. And, and then it, you said, Grace, you know, like, what, what do we do? At what point do we ask for help? And, and I think, look, if, if, if you're struggling then it's it's always good to have conversations and and to approach your GP and have a conversation with them about how you're feeling and about whether there's some extra support that might help you. There are particular warning signs that we do need to look out for. So warning signs, uh, I would say, in three spaces. And one is the degree to to which this is affecting you. So if, if you're just finding things hard and you're a bit cheesed off with life compared to actually this is really desperately hard and you're finding it hard to get out of bed you're missing stuff you're not keeping up with stuff that that's a bigger impact and 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 the more that this is impacting your life and stopping you doing stuff that you would normally enjoy doing that would normally be good for you that would feed and restore your soul Mm. that's more of a sign to 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 get some extra help there's there's an impact also in duration so the longer you've been struggling so actually I'm having a bit of a rubbish day or week this week and I'm kind of aware why because last week was really busy and I'm exhausted or I need a holiday. That's different to actually this has been going on for months now mm. and I'm really struggling. Mm. So if this has been going on a long time, get do have that conversation. And, and finally, look for the sort of real alert signs that your brain is at the edge of its capacity to cope you know Elijah is such we've I've already talked about he's such a good mm. example because he was an amazing man of God one of our biblical mm. heroes and he was in a high point he pulled off an amazing victory but suddenly he ends up he's withdrawn he's isolated himself so he's very vulnerable and and he's saying to God he wants to die mm. and let's be realistic as human beings we can much more easily than we like to think and recognize recognize we can be pushed to extreme places where we might do some of those things so if you have if you're aware that you have cut yourself off from people who care for you if there's stuff that 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 is happening that you know isn't healthy if you're not eating well if you're not sleeping well if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or just extreme thoughts you know the human brain when it's overwhelmed doesn't doesn't operate in a tremendously helpful way and it will suggest things like like maybe I just need to run away or or maybe I do need to, to do something really drastic. And that's that's a sign that your mind is not coping. So if you're in those spaces, do have a conversation with your GP. And, and in general, I would say, you know, with mental health, we, we often wait too long before mm. we ask for help. Mm. So talking not just to your GP, but to other leaders, if you've got like a spiritual director or people who speak into your life, people who pray for you, your family, people who care for you, your mates, your team, being honest and just saying, hey, I'm actually struggling right now and not waiting until the absolute crisis hits. Mm-hmm. 
before we do something you know it, that if if you if you thought you had a bit of an infection brewing you wouldn't wait till you ended up in hospital before you asked for help you'd you'd, you'd call your gp the minute you're like oh actually i've got a bit of earache here i think maybe mm-hmm. I, I might need to get it checked out so let's do the same for our mental and emotional well-being instead of waiting until it becomes an absolute crisis oh, so good and so much so much helpful stuff there um I was just thinking, you know, you were talking about being involved in or setting up headspace with with Youthscape. I wondered, you know, a lot of us will either have teenage kids or, you know, will be involved in leadership in churches where there are teenagers. And it does strike me that teenagers are seem to be suffering some of the most in this time. Um, have you got any just thoughts about, you know, what's going on for them during this time and how we can be a support and you know how churches need to be thinking about youth we, we, we're probably going to do a another interview with with some other youth workers and stuff but you know from your psychologist perspective just be great to get any any thoughts you've got on that yeah and do you know it's it's really interesting obviously our teenagers and and our kids as well and you know I've, I've got a nine-year-old and a very nearly 16 year old so I sort of tick both of those boxes kids mm. and teens in my household um but so our kids and teens have been through like like we have this this time of real challenge. In some ways, they're actually better equipped to cope with it than we are. Many of those sort of foundational building blocks of life that have been challenged that we have really been hit by. For kids and teens, aren't they're not so established yet? You know, we've lived decades according to those rules and the way that we think life works. Kids haven't even formed them yet. Teenagers, they're still very much up for grabs. They're still understanding the world and how it works. So when everything changes overnight and we're like, oh, my goodness, are you kidding me? Our kids and teens are much more able to change and think, well, OK, let's just do this differently. That sounds great. Let's throw everything in the air and change the way we live and move everything online. And, and as a result, we've seen kids and teens being incredibly adaptive and brilliant and creative and flexible and just show themselves to their absolute best extent in that and I know in our household some at regular intervals through pandemic the people who struggle the most have been the adults not the kids mm. and and mm. I mean my kids have kept kept me going on some rough weeks through lockdown mm. in the way their attitude so we we should remember that but at the same time they do struggle actually interestingly one of the things that's hardest for them though is when the adults in their world are struggling so for us as people supporting kids and teens we need to recognize that sometimes the most important thing we can do for them is something that we do for ourselves Mm. because if we're at the edge of ourselves then that has a big impact on them it it changes the atmosphere that we can hold in the home space in their church space in their youth group spaces we don't we don't have the bandwidth to be there for them because we're just struggling to keep our own heads above water so we have to think about that But most of all, I would say we need to think about the stories that we're speaking over this rising generation of children and young people, because the stories that they're hearing in the media, on social media and from the adults around them are resoundingly and and sometimes relentlessly negative. They're hearing stories of illness. They're hearing negative predictions about their future. And, And whilst those concerns are real and true, our sort of human tendency is to, to only remember and tell and focus on stories that trigger anxiety because that, that grabs our attention. We, we forget to tell 
the good news stories. And so what we need to do is speak stories for young people that recognise the challenge and the fact that things have been a bit rubbish for a while and there's still some stuff right now that we're not sure about, but also that speaks the good stuff, but also equips them. So how do you manage tough times, you know? Mm. Um, Children and teenagers are growing their sense of identity and their understanding of themselves, the world and of God. So how do we help them to, to grow that understanding in a healthy way in this moment? Recognizing that sometimes life is hard, sometimes things happen that are outside of our control, but that there are things we can do to support ourselves, to support other people, to hold hope, to bring good things and speak light and life into, into the world. You know, I, I think those are really important stories that we can share with young people. And, and there's biblical stuff, ancient wisdom from the Bible that we can speak into that about how do you manage when the whole world goes crazy or when you feel like you've made a big mistake or when, you know, you hit an emotional low yourself or, or stuff like that. And it's really important as, as people of good people of faith that we do speak those stories to them and teach them and equip them you know I, it it reminds me do you, i don't know if you guys ever watched the simpsons like years ago i'm like delving into my own well not not childhood but my sort of student years but i remember there's this episode where i think there's a comet that's supposed to be about to hit the town and the newsreader says like oh it's at times like this that we that we turn to the church for support and, and the camera pans across and the vicar's running across a hill screaming people we don't have a prayer we're in real trouble and and it reminds me of that like in this moment what our teenagers need us to be is not that what they need yeah. us to be is like okay this is tough but here's here's why you guys are brilliant and mm. and here's how we can help you and here's how you can do some stuff that will help you to feel better and here's some stuff that we can help you understand about why this is tough mm. and and we can resource them we can equip them and tell stories that are about coming through this and getting out the other side because i genuinely believe for that generation that although this is tough they don't need to be destroyed and damaged by it. You know, mm. previous research that looks at generations who've grown up in tough times, which is generally looking at the Second World War generation, yeah. it shows a generation, yes, who struggled and hit hard stuff, but also who had to learn how to dig deep. Mm. And they built strong foundations. It, it built character, but it also built faith and hope. Yeah. And, yeah. and those are really valuable life skills to take in to your future mm. and both for you as an individual but also as people of faith you know mm. carrying the holy spirit and, and bringing the kingdom of god it it can grow a healthy level of defiance and resilience mm. so so you know this generation may not be damaged and destroyed this may actually grow something amazing in them and and maybe this generation are going to change the world i hope so yeah. there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot that, that we could do with them changing and they can bring that creativity and flexibility and the, the refreshing way that they see things to to the future hopefully but our job as the adults in their world is to equip them to do that Hmm. You got a last question, Grace? Or are you... I know my, my, what came to mind was, are there some ways that we used to worship that in light of what we've been through and how we're going to emerge, we just won't be able to stomach anymore? And whether our young people might be the most vocal ones to help us identify that? I think so much of our current sort of di dilemma and challenges is to try and avoid 
sort of polarizing our perspectives on these things. So, mm. you know, so much of our culture now likes to be very black and white, either one thing or another. Mm. Either we do this or we do that. And also either something's right or it's wrong. And the reality is, is that most of life is neither black nor white. It's that kind of muddy gray color. <laughs> yeah. We know so much of life somewhere in the middle. And 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 teen as as we get older we're more prone to that because we get kind of stuck in our ways don't we like this yeah. is just what we do this is how it works and 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 i think the teen teenagers younger generations can bring a, a good openness to that a sort of exploratory freshness that that kind of willingness to to throw things up in the air and try new things mm. and and explore and and that's a really good thing and, and questioning, like, what are the roots of why we do what we do? I think one thing that, that we will all have to do as part of this processing stage of pandemic is to explore our roots and which ones are really important. Uh, what, what have we learned from this about some things that perhaps we didn't realise how important it really was? And there's a good message there for us all, I think, not to, not to jump too fast. I think in our eagerness to move on and get closure and feel like we've come out of this, some some people are, are are so keen to do that and and feel like they've grasped some positives that they might the risk is we might do it too soon mm. to be able to say actually do you know what we need a season of just reflecting and processing and creating some space before we leap into things you know i i can see in the autumn a big rush of like excellent it's all over let's jump into a new season full of energy and focusing on the future and you think whoa wait a minute let's uh, maybe we're still going to need some reflective space there so doing that really well and then when we do come out and we're more ready to think okay this this is what the new pattern's going to look like i mean who knows what the autumn will bring so yes. i i just shudder even to go there in my head <laughs> but the balance between recognizing and really valuing our tradition our history remember that old routine you know mm. there's been some real value in that and some of the roots we might discover are in saying actually this is really amazing i know like I, I took my daughter to um, to our local Anglican church for the first time during lockdown because I've moved traditions during this season because I've been I'm on the um, Anglican ordination pathway so I've moved from a tradition that's quite sort of Pentecostal quite sort of charismatic quite free in worship and things to a much more liturgical formal sort of high church anglican space and i thought oh man my daughter's gonna hate this but she loved it because <laughs> she was like there's so much space and she's like i just really respect the authenticity and the fact that they've you know they've been doing this for for centuries this is the way it's always been and just the mm. historical pattern of that and and i was like oh wow that's true i'd never really thought of it like that but you know <laughs> she saw something in it so there's some good stuff in our history and our tradition, mm -hmm. but at the same time, valuing flexibility. And, and like you say, Grace, like being able to say, like, maybe we need to do some things differently here. And maybe there's some stuff that we recognize we've got to change. And maybe some of that change will be forced. And that's been really interesting in this season, hasn't it? You know, I've been involved in leadership conversations that, that have been around the most basic things like, why do we meet <laughs> what, what is the value of physically being in a room together? So, for yeah. example, if come, what is it, we're at 
at the time of recording, I think we're like a month off, hopefully, the release of restrictions in inverted commas. But will that mean we can congregationally sing again? Mm. We, we don't really know, do we? Yeah. So let's say that we can get, let's, what if we can get together in a space and we can do everything except sing? Is, is, is that worth it? Or is there something about congregational mm. singing that is so basic that some mm. traditions feel like, well, if we can't do that, we might as well stay online? You know, what? Mm. I think there's some big foundational questions there and and different groups different churches different traditions will probably answer those in different ways but the important thing is taking the time to ponder and pause and reflect um yeah and figure try to figure out the answers to this because we've not done it before like i say there's not a story that says here's how you do this here's how you come through here's what coming out of pandemic looks like we don't know and it's so important to hear people isn't it you know i just think in this season, I've I've heard very much the anguish of people who feel like perhaps they've got lost or forgotten in this. And so as we come out into yet another season of change, hearing the voices of, of all the different people, the people who are just desperate to get back to church and singing and things as normal, but also the voices of people like people who've been struggling for De- years decades with long-term chronic illness mm. and pandemic for them has been the first time in their lives that they've not felt left out of church yeah. because it's been online and they can engage yeah. with that yeah. like let's let's not lose those voices either but yeah. let's also not lose the voices of our leaders who at the same time are quite tired and trying to be <laughs> all things to all people and that's really hard you know it's yeah. complex isn't it it's complex. Yeah. okay thank you so much um this has been absolutely brilliant and just want to give you the opportunity to share any websites or ways that people can connect with you and what what you're doing what you're involved in yeah so our main website is mindandsoulfoundation.org and that's a space where whatever the coming months bring we will be responding to it we publish articles uh uh videos all sorts of information on there so what whatever the needs are we'll be trying to respond to those and we also are on social media at mind and soul uk so that's twitter insta facebook and youtube so worth following those because some stuff only makes it onto those spaces rather than the main website um, particularly when we're responding to a moment for young people, I would definitely recommend that you check out Headstrong, which is beheadstrong.uk, and do tell any young people in your lives to check that out. And they are also on social media. So if you check out Be Headstrong, the tags are slightly different on all the various different spaces. And we are, I believe, also on TikTok. <gasps> I don't really know a lot about it because I'm not really, personally. I mean, I am. Like, my face is on it, and you'll find me sort of rambling on about mental health and well-being and stuff but i don't know a lot about tiktok but if you look for search for, for be headstrong you'll find us on there as well <laughs> that's awesome thank you so much kate thank you kate it's, it's been brilliant to chat thanks you guys thanks god bless thanks bye visit engageworship.org slash disrupting worship for reflection questions and links to resources for each episode. You can get in touch with us by email on info at engageworship.org and also via Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Engage Worship. Worship.